0: How to find my purpose we talked about last week. We are people of purpose. We're not here by accident. And so when people don't know or haven't found their purpose, they chase after it in so many ways, right? They chase after it all over the place. And just like I talked about last week, sometimes we lose the map. We get lost. We're chasing after power, prestige, all kinds of different things that don't fulfill our purpose, And so last week we talked about the path to purpose includes discovering Jesus, admitting my need for Jesus, and boldly following Jesus into our purpose, right? If you're anything like me, though, you know, I need some help to connect the dots, right? You know, it's one thing to hear somebody say, hey, boldly follow Jesus into your purpose. And we got to see the beginning of the disciples' journey last week, where they said yes to Jesus. Jesus went back to heaven and Jesus sends them out to reach the whole world for him, right? But I need somebody to help me connect the dots, to show me the little tricks to tell me how to do it, right? And maybe there's some of you like me, if, there, if, if you've got it all figured that figured out, then just pray for me the weaker vessel today. But I need some direction. I need some dots on the map to follow. When I was a kid <clears throat> Uh, Actually, I was a teenager, and we had had this horse for a long time. And anybody, any horse lovers out there, um, man, and I loved to ride this horse. Um, I can't remember how old I was when he got the horse, but as soon as I was old enough to leave the house without my mom caring, you know, really... um, you know, about where I was going, I'd be like, I'm going to ride the horse. And so the horse was about a mile away from my house at some stables. And so I would jump on my bike after school and I'd ride over there. And I, I've, I've been vertically challenged my whole life, right? And back then I, it was even more so. I was a super little guy. And so, you know, 10 or 11 years old, I'd ride my bike over there. I was way too small to get the saddle in the horse. And so I'd bridle the horse up, bring him over by the fence, climb the fence and hop on bareback and take off. All right. And so just imagine little Joe flying through the fields as fast as this horse could go. This, this was a quarter horse, a Palomino colored quarter horse that used, that before we got him, before he retired, ran barrels in the rodeo. And so this dude was fast. And so I would ride this horse and turn as fast as I possibly can because I'm reenacting all the Westerns I had seen, right? And mind you, I'm, I'm about a mile on the way from the house at a stable with nobody else. I was by myself trying to see how fast I could go on this horse. It was the best. It was amazing. And so I had a lot of great years riding this horse. I was, and by the way, I was the fourth kid in the family, so you got, you, you, those of you that have had multiple kids, you know how it goes. By the fourth kid, the parents don't really know where he is half the time. And it's just kind of running wild. And so, you know, that's, I think that's why I kind of had an affinity to Huckleberry Finn because I was just out there, running wild and it was awesome. And I could say all this because my parents aren't here today. <laughs> uh, my, my, my dad is preaching for the month down at, Be- at the Assemblies of God church in Bethel. Um, and so I got to tell some fun stories for the next months while they're gone. Um, they might watch it online, but we'll just act like they won't. And so, you know, back in the day, no, no cell phones, no GPS, riding the horse and loving it. Well, one day, and I was a little bit older by now, probably 14 or 15, the horse, his name was Scoop, which is a great name. Scoop the horse died at a, at a ripe old age of 30. And so he lived a long time. And so finally this horse dies and it was sad you know but we'd had a lot of great years with him and so I I, my dad calls me and I had just got home from school and he calls and says Joe I've got a meeting I've got to go somewhere scoop died I need you to go help the guy bury the horse right and so I'm like (laughs) okay and I'm like well what do you want me to do dad and he's like, just show up, there'll be a guy with a backhoe, you know, Scoop laid down, if you know know anything about horses, once they laid down, there's no getting them back up, and so he laid down and died, and I'm gonna go out and help the guy bury the horse, so I get there, and I ride my bike over, and there's the guy with the backhoe, and he's kind of looking at me, like, what are we gonna do, and I'm like, my dad told me to come and help you bury the horse, and he's like, well, where, and I guess, well, well, I guess we'll bury him over here, and I'm like, I've never buried a horse before, have you? Right? And so um, he digs the hole and then he looks at me and he's like, well, how are we gonna get the horse in the hole? And I'm like, man, I thought you've done this before. Like, I've never done this before. My dad just said, come help you bury the horse. And so we figure it out. and (laughs) And I had pictures last week but there's a reason there's no pictures this week because it's just not fun burying a horse. And so we finally get the horse in the hole. Thankfully, we had the piece of machinery and, and we bury the horse and we just figured it out. And it's like sometimes life gives you things that you have no idea how to do and you just figure it out. And sometimes it's just like things get dropped in your lap and you don't know and you just figure it out. And so that's one of my funnier stories about just figuring something out that you feel utterly ill-equipped to do, but we got it done. Now, when you're burying a dead horse, the stakes aren't very high, right? It's like he just needs to get in the hole, and um, you have your little memory ceremony and and move on with life. But when you're boldly following Jesus into your purpose, (coughs) you've got to get it right. You know, it's, it's not just you're just going to show up and just figure it out, right? You need some handles. You need some directional points on your map. You need a compass. That's why I'm so thankful for God's word because it's our a, a roadmap, it's our guide. And God didn't just say, hey, show up there and do this and you're going to figure it out and you'll be okay. No, he gave us his word as a map, as a guide. And so following Jesus into your purpose will definitely be a mix of details that are laid out in his word. And then there'll also be some of that experiencing it for yourself. Because how many know it's one thing to like get the recipe or to get the directions. It's another thing to follow the directions, right? And our walk with God by its very nature includes faith, right? Things that you can't see, but you're trusting God to show you the next step. Think about Abraham when he followed God even when, and he left his home even though he didn't know where God was leading him. God just said, go. And Abraham's like, where? And he's like, don't worry about it. I'll tell you on the way. Can you imagine packing up your tent and your house and all your stuff and just going and you have no idea where you're going? What about Moses? When he had been away from Egypt for 40 years in the wilderness and God says, go back. And Moses is like, well, I don't know what I'm going to face when I get back. And he just went. God said, I'll be with you. Think about David walking out onto the field with Goliath. Walking into the unknown. Think about the disciples leaving their jobs, leaving everything they had to follow Jesus. And so you see, there is this element of faith. There's this element of, I'm a fish out of water. There's an element of I'm, I'm going to figure some stuff out as I go. But God didn't leave us completely uninformed. He didn't leave us without a map. He's given us some tracks to run on. So for the rest of the series, we're going to give you some thoughts, some things to shoot for as you chase your purpose. And I really believe that, man, these three things that we're going to talk about over the next three weeks are going to give you some directional points on the map that are going to help you stay on track. Remember, your purpose is found in Jesus, not stuff in Jesus. Not a thing, but a person. And Jesus isn't as much as like a a trick to be solved or, or like a puzzle to be figured out. He's a person to be known. And so when you combine your purpose, and get this, this is a big deal. When you combine your purpose with a person... See, your purpose isn't a thing, it's not an accomplishment, It's it's not just something like a talent that you were put here to do. When you combine your purpose with a person, it changes everything. Because you're not seeking stuff, you're not seeking a diploma, you're not seeking a certification, you're not seeking just worldly things, you're seeking Him. You're not just seeking success, you're seeking significance. You're not just seeking accomplishment, you're seeking a relationship. And so when we think about chasing purpose God's way, we're not thinking about it through a worldly lens of just, I'm gonna check things off the list and I'm just gonna do this and that. And someday when I accumulate this much or accomplish this many things or make this big of a difference, I will have arrived. That's not purpose in, in the kingdom of God. Why? Because your purpose is a person. It's a daily pursuit of a relationship with Jesus. It's more of a journey than a destination that you're reaching for. This is why you could have accepted Christ last week on Easter, and you're already living smack dab in the middle of your purpose. Isn't that a great thing? That the moment you give your heart and life to Christ, you're on point. You're on purpose, you're living the life that God has called you to live. Isn't that encouraging to you today? That you're not reaching out for someday for something. You know, there's a lot of things in life that take time. Saving money, right? Takes time, takes intentionality. You know, getting the degree, getting the job, getting the house, getting the car. We don't always get what we want when we want it. But with Jesus, The moment that you cross over from death to life, you're living in your purpose. And so your purpose isn't a thing, it's a person. And so we need different tracks to run on as we chase our purpose. And so over the next three weeks, we're gonna talk about today, chasing the presence of God. Next week, chasing the character of God. And the week after that, we're gonna talk about chasing the will of God. Which man, that's a fun one because that's that's a big question. How do I know the will of God? And so I'm excited over the next few weeks to walk through these topics with you. And so today we're gonna jump right into chasing the presence of God. You were created for his presence, to live with him, to live in communion, in union with him. And so let's dig into this today. Number one, how do we chase the presence or what is it gonna look like to chase the presence of God? Chasing God's presence takes time and energy. There's no shortcut, there's no way around it. It takes time and energy. Over the next few points, we're gonna walk through um, some different times in the life of Moses. From Exodus chapter 19, all the way through to Exodus chapter 32. Are we gonna go through all the the chapters? No, but we're gonna look at some highlights of this story along the way. Okay, and so we see in Exodus 19.3. Remember, Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt. They find themselves in the wilderness. God had done some amazing miracles. He parted the Red Sea, right? There was a cloud by day leading them. There was a pillar of fire by night leading them. And God leads them to this mountain, where God's going to give them the law, the Ten Commandments. Anybody ever heard of the Ten Commandments? And so it's on this mountain where God gave them the Ten Commandments along with all kinds of other guidelines for living. And so just imagine the whole Israelite community traveling by caravan with their tents and camels and livestock and kids and all the stuff they have with them all their possessions, they get to the foot of this mountain, and here's where we pick up. In Exodus 19.3, it says, then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. He climbed the mountain to appear before God. This isn't just an Old Testament, Old Testament principle. That chasing God's presence takes time and energy, and you and I both know that it took some energy to climb that mountain. Chasing The word chasing might lead you to view this pursuit of God in a way that God didn't intend. What do you mean? I mean that God is everywhere. He's not running away from you. You don't have to chase him per se like he's dangling a carrot in front of your head, right? That you can never catch. That's not the picture here. And so when we say we're chasing God or Moses had to climb the mountain to get to God, it's not because God wasn't at the foot of the mountain. It's because God wants you and I to be hungry for his presence, to seek him over and over throughout scripture. God's asking us to seek him. That verse in Acts chapter 17 that I read to you last week, that God's purpose for you is to seek him and perhaps find him. And so there's something about the pursuit of chasing after God. It's good to have an attitude of urgency to be with him. And so we see Moses climbing the mountain. Jesus often climbed a mountain to get alone and be away with God. Was it because Jesus didn't have communion with God down off the mountain? No. But this is a life principle for us to understand that if you want to get in the presence of God, it's going to take time and energy. What do we extract from this principle and all these experiences in God's word where we see people climbing mountains to be with God? What it says to me is that we shouldn't try to squeeze God into our schedule. Do you ever do that? It's like, I've got all this stuff to do. God, you've got five minutes. Ready? Go. You ever do that to God? It's like, man, I'm so busy. God, I've only got like 30 seconds today. I hope that's okay with you. But man, when I hear this, it's like, no. God's not something to get squeezed into my schedule. He goes on first. He gets first dibs. Another thing that this principle says to me is that you and I, we have the relationship with Jesus that we want, You and I have the relationship with God that we want. Some people, they're just unhappy with their connection with God. Oh man, I just don't feel him like I used to. Or, oh man, God's just not touching me the way that he used to when I worship. I'm just not feeling his presence. And I just really go back to this. Hey, you've got the relationship with Jesus that you want. Charles Swindoll said this, he said, Satan does not always tempt us with hatefulness towards God, many times he tempts us with forgetfulness of God. Most of the time it's not like, oh, I don't want more of God, or oh, I don't like God, or oh, I'm mad at God, although some people struggle with anger with God. More times than not, it's like we just forget it's not at the forefront of our mind. It's not, the, it's not our soul pursuit. It's not just the passion rising up out of our souls and saying, I'm going to get nitty and gritty and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get in the presence of God. I love what God did when Moses got to the top of the mountain. God reminded him of his faithfulness. God reminded Moses of all the things he had done. See, when you get in God's presence, he's going to reset your perspective. He's going to remind you of some things of how good he is. When Jesus climbed his final mountain, that hill called Golgotha, the veil in the temple that separated God's presence and you and me was torn in two. He paid the ultimate price. He gave all of his energy to towards this goal of you and I having access to the presence of God. Our time and energy is the only plausible response, right? And so when we think about this, this, this topic of man, chasing God's presence takes time and energy. It's not like we're putting the time in, right? No, we got to change our thought patterns here. We got to change our, our approach. We need to transform our thoughts from, I don't have time to pray to I'm too busy not to pray right? We've got to transform our thoughts from, I don't feel like it, to, man, I know that in God's presence, is, it's the source of all rest, all peace, all comfort, and all joy, right? More than anything, I think the reason people don't spend time with God is because they don't feel like it. They'd rather watch Netflix. They'd rather scroll social media. They'd rather mow the yard they'd rather do anything else but we got to shift the thought we got to ch- change the tapes in our head and we got to say hey if I don't get in God's presence then I won't get the rest I need I won't get the peace that I need or the comfort or the joy it's the source of all good things listen if you only spend time with Jesus when you feel like it the devil will make sure that you never feel like it Matthew 27, 51 says, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What moment? When Jesus died. The moment Jesus breathed his last breath, that curtain was torn in two, giving you and I direct access to the presence of God. That we don't have to climb the mountain like Moses did. We don't have to go through the suffering that Jesus did why because he did it for us but it does take time and energy still it just means that god's presence can come in your living room just as easy as it came to the mountaintop aren't you thankful for that you see the presence of god is not a certain time of day the presence of god is not sunday morning at 10:30 when the music starts man I remember a time when the presence of God was, was most powerful during the second and third song. For whatever reason in the church service, it's like between that second and third song, that was when God really moved. But we need to blow up that perspective in our minds because that puts God in such a small box. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna only be in God's presence during the second and third song on Sunday morning. When God bled and died so that I could have access to his presence 24 7. It's not something that you conjure up after following certain rituals, it's available to those who seek it. The Bible says, Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. The presence of God isn't only present when you feel the, the Holy Spirit goosebumps, when you get that quiver in your liver. Right? Those aren't the only times that God's presence is available. God is there in the first song, so get to church on time. Right? God is there at your dinner table. God's there when you go to bed at night. God is even there on Monday morning when you get to work. Why? Because He's there in the exciting, He's there in the mundane. He's there in the sorrow and he's there in the pain. He's there on the mountaintop or in the valley, right? He's there in the church house and he's there in your house. He's there when we sing your favorite song and he's there when we sing the songs you hate. Did you know that your preference of worship songs doesn't change God's presence? Did you know that? Why? Because where. God's people are there, is the presence of God. He inhabits the praises of His people. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You can't escape it. And here's the big thought you can't escape it, but you must seek it. It takes intentionality. It's kind of a paradox. God's presence and chasing God's presence takes time and energy. Number two, God's presence changes your daily life. God's presence changes your daily life. Man, this is the piece of the puzzle that so much of the time we miss. In Exodus nineteen seven, right? Moses climbs the mountain to appear before God. And then a few verses later, it says, so Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. So let's boil it down to our vernacular. Based on what happened in God's presence, Moses' agenda and schedule changed. This is deep. This is complicated. Actually, no, it's really not. It's really simple. Because of the time that Moses spent in God's presence, his calendar changed. Don't miss this. This is big. The peoples, the people that Moses interacted with, their boundaries, their rhythm of life changed. I love what Jonathan Edwards said. He said, a man who knows that he lives in sin against God will not be inclined to come daily into the presence of God a man who knows that he lives in sin against God will not be inclined to come daily into the presence of God. You see, there's this connection between when you get in God's presence, you become aware of the areas of your life that need to change. But if you resist that, if you're aware of the sin in your life, but you resist making changes, then you cease to experience God's presence. And see, this is exactly what happened here in this passage. Moses goes up. He becomes aware of the ways that Israel needed to change. He comes down. He tells everybody, right? And then the people have a choice. Am I going to follow the commands of a loving God? See, if we're going to seek his presence, some things are going to change. We ask ourselves, what do I want most? What do I think about the most? How do I use my money? Where do, what do I do with my leisure time? What kind of people do I hang around? What do I admire? What do I laugh at? All these things start to shape and mold into the likeness of our savior when we spend time in God's presence. The flip side is really scary. We fall into a scary trap when we disregard the presence of God as anything less than life-changing anything less than awe-inspiring and worthy of our utmost honor and respect, right? And so to not let the presence of God change your daily life is the greatest form of disregard. Some people say, oh, I stopped coming to church and that, that you know, I, I think God's mad at me because I stopped coming to church. no. I think God as a loving father might be a little frustrated with you when you don't put into practice what he's told you. I think he cares way more about that than just you know, whether or not you, you sit in a seat on Sunday morning. You see, because God's presence has to change our daily life. Listen, when you think about God's presence and letting it impact your life, don't confuse familiarity with a lack of authority. Don't confuse familiarity with a lack of authority. You say, Joe, what do do you mean by that? Sometimes kids get familiar with their parents and they respect them less. Have you ever seen that happen? Like dad takes you out for ice cream and because dad took you out for ice cream and you guys had a really good time, it's like for some reason you think that day you're not gonna pick up your room or take out the trash. Oh, we had a really great time today. Maybe he won't notice. Or maybe at work, sometimes employees get kind of familiar with their boss and, 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 and that's a good thing that the boss and the employees can also be friends and also be feel like they're kind of a part of a family. But then because of that familiarity with the boss, maybe you start to get lax on initiatives or or directives that the boss is given. Have you ever seen that happen in the workplace? It's a scary thing though, when that leaks over into our relationship with God and we spend time in God's presence, but don't follow through to implementing what he's told us into our daily life. Romans 12, two says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing and perfect. Spending time in the presence of God is meant to transform you into somebody completely different, which means your life and your, on a daily basis, not just a Sunday basis, but a daily basis is gonna change. How does this play out in our life? In every area, in your emotions, your thought life, your work life, everything. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, there's a strain of loneliness infecting many Christians. You ever identify with that? Just lonely? There's a strain of loneliness infecting many Christians, which only the presence of God can cure. You see, you don't need another Facebook post. You don't need another movie. You don't need just time with friends, which, although that is really important, you need to get in the presence of God. Rick Warren says, God doesn't owe us an explanation for everything. And actually, what I've found is that explanations don't comfort. What comforts is the presence of God, not the explanation of God. Listen to that. What comforts is the presence of God, not the explanation of God. Church, when you start to get these principles that God, I need to get in your presence and I'm going to let your presence dictate my daily life, not the other way around, then it's going it's to seep into your soul. It's going to get into those anxious thoughts and drive them out. It's going to get into those areas of your life that you have not yet had victory over and you're going to be victorious. Why? Because God's presence changes your daily life. God didn't give you an explanation for everything. He gives you your, his presence in everything. And this is big in every area of your life. Lastly today, number three, you will be tempted to ignore God's presence. This is where the rubber hits the road. You'll be tempted like nothing else, this will be the number one temptation in your life. You might say, Joe, no, my number one temp- temptation is, is uh, swearing or drugs or pornography or lying. You know, these, these, are the, these are the big temptations in my life, Joe. No, the biggest temptation in your life is to ignore God's presence because that's where it starts. It doesn't start, you know, it doesn't start when you start to engage in that sinful act. It started with the neglect of getting into the presence of God. And so you'll be tempted to ignore God's presence. So let's get back to our story. So Moses is going up on the mountain. He's coming down from the mountain. Things are changing. He's spending time in God's presence. And because of that, life is changing in the Israelite camp. God's rearranging the lives of the Israelites. And so what does Moses do now? <clears throat> in Exodus 24, he brings a group of his leaders, 70 some people up the mountain with him. And I love this in Exodus 24:9, let Let's read along. It says, then Moses, Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. How cool would that be, right? God's on top of the mountain, there's thunder, there's the cloud, it's amazing, and you get the invite to be a part of the 70-some to go up the mountain with Moses. And so there it says they saw the God of Israel. Now just think about that. And this is one of those verses that you just got to stop for a minute and just think about it. Under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis, lapis lazuli. As clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Can you imagine being in the very presence of God, gazing upon God? I just can't even imagine. So Aaron and the other leaders literally got to be in the presence of God and look what happens next. And this is is part of the story that for some reason, man, I had just forgot. And so as I'm studying this week and I'm putting these dots together, I'm like, okay, Moses goes up. He takes 70 of these leaders up. Aaron was one of the leaders that he took up. And then after that, they go back down. Moses is up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, and God is giving him the law, all these different guidelines for the, for the nation of Israel to abide by. And then in Exodus 32:1, the rubber hits the road for the Israelites. Remember, you will be tempted to ignore God's presence. And so let me remind you of the picture. God's up on the mountain, The Israelites are at the foot of the mountain in clear view of the top of the mountain. Exodus 32.1, it says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Side note, Aaron had just been up there in the presence of God, eating and drinking a covenant meal in the presence of God. So they gather around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. They're down there thinking, he gone. He ain't coming back, right? And so what does Aaron do? He's like, all right, bring me all your gold earrings. Bring me all your gold stuff, melts it. And creates a golden calf for the people to worship. Now for us these days you know we don't we at least most of us I'm guessing probably don't struggle with worship of like golden calf idols. That's not something that we relate to but for the Israelites in that period this was a big temptation for them. And so just think about whatever you're tempted with most in your life this would be on par with that. And so Aaron just totally capitulates, totally gives in, totally says, okay, I was just in God's presence, but I'm going to ignore that and act like it's not there. I would like to think that I would respond differently. I would like to think that if I had been in the presence of God, gazed upon his beauty, that I would be forever changed. But I also know that I have been in the presence of God. And then I've gone on to periods in my life where it's as if I was a kid and God's presence was right there. And I shut my eyes and put my fingers in my ears and I'm like, na, 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 Anybody ever do that when you're a kid? I can't hear you, na, 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 na. Right? Your kids ever do that when they don't wanna hear their brother or sister and they're just like, na, 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 na. That's the picture I get when I think about this story. And then I'm incredibly convicted because I'm like, oh, I've done that. Why? Because we are gonna be tempted to flat out ignore what has been so graciously provided for us, the presence of God. When the veil was torn, when Jesus breathed his last breath, and we have full access and we'll, yet we go sit in a corner and we're like, na 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 na. In Colossians, actually, one more thing, real quick. While Aaron is down there leading them to make an idol and do all that, and we're going to close here in a minute, while he's doing the golden calf thing, and Israel the Bible says prostitutes themselves to this golden calf. While they're doing that, God is on top of the mountain talking to Moses about how Moses is gonna go down and anoint Aaron as the priest. Man, can you imagine the guilt that, and just how bad Aaron would have to feel later knowing that while God was on the mountain talking to Moses about anointing Aaron, down there doing that and you and I can relate we're like man God I've gone so far I've ignored you so many times I don't think God's ever gonna open his arms to me again and we get these guilt and we carry this shame that oh God I ignored you too many times I don't know if I don't know if you're gonna take me back this time in Colossians 2:8 it says this don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. You see, because worldly thinking would say, you've gone too far, you're too bad. You ignored God's presence when it was right there. Jesus died for you. The veil was torn in two. You've got access and you ignored it. You went the other way. You knew the wrong that you were doing and you still did it. God can't love you anymore. That's high sounding nonsense that comes from this world rather than from Christ. Because it goes on and says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God and the human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is head over every ruler and authority. Your union with Christ, what how else can we interpret that? by you being in the presence of God. You're not made complete through your works, through being perfect, through always, always doing the right thing because I know that I don't. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and his glorious standards, right? And so we're not complete through that. We're complete by being in union with Christ and making it a priority an intentional effort in our life to seek his presence. C.S. Lewis says, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. I love that. You can ignore but you can nowhere evade the presence of God. And so what do we gotta do? We think about man. God's presence takes time and energy, right? When I get in God's presence, he's gonna rearrange my life. He's gonna mix things up. He's gonna ask me to change some things and it's gonna be the best possible change. And I gotta know I'm gonna be tempted to ignore God's presence. And so what do I gotta do? I gotta make room. I gotta make room in my life. I gotta clear some space on the calendar. I gotta say no to some things that are crowding it out. And for goodness sakes, when God's presence is right here, it's just a climb up the mountain away and I'm sitting at the foot of the mountain of my life, I cannot ignore it. I can't act like it's not there. I'm gonna be tempted to, but I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna ignore God's presence anymore. I'm gonna make room. I'm gonna get some margin in my life. I'm gonna create some space to be in God's presence. Because when I get in God's presence, I find life. In Him, I live and I move and I have my being. If I don't get in his presence, I'm not gonna have the love and the joy and the peace and the patience that I need to deal with life. If I don't get in his presence, I'm not gonna find the significance that he created me to have. If I don't get in his presence, I'm not gonna live out my purpose, who is a person, Jesus. Why God? Because you put me here to glorify you. You didn't put me here to accomplish things. You put me here to shine a spotlight on you. You put me here for your renown, for your glory, for your fame. Jesus, my life is all about you. And so God, we want to climb the mountain. We want to put the time and the energy in. We want to give it our best effort. Jesus, mess up our calendar. Mess up our life in the best way possible. God, rearrange things in the way that you would like them to be. Jesus, we carve out time for you. We need you, Jesus. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. And we spend our time and energy on a lot of things. But if we're gonna fulfill our purpose in life, we gotta chase after the presence of God. And the first step to that is saying yes to what Jesus did for you and me on the cross. And so if you're here today and you say, Joe, I've been far from God. Or maybe you say, Joe, I've I've never accepted Christ as my Lord and savior. And you wanna accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus afforded to you when he breathed his last breath on the cross, that veil was torn in two, And he rose again on the third day. You see, he took the punishment for your sin on himself. And you get to be here today and hear this good news and say yes to Jesus. And so if that's you today and you say, Joe, I've been far from God, or I wanna accept Christ for the first time, I wanna ask Jesus into my heart. I wanna make him the Lord, the director, the leader of my life. If that's you today and you say, Jesus, here's my life. If you could just signify that with an upraised hand, and just say, Jesus, that's me. Jesus, that's me. I give my heart, I give my life to you. Here's my life. I surrender all. If you raised your hand today, you can pray a prayer in your own words as your seat. There's no magic words. There's no just specific thing you have to say. What you do need to do is admit that you're a sinner. Ask God to forgive you and commit to live your life for Him. Follow Jesus. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to forgive me. I confess, I've tried to do this my own way. I give you my life. Help me to live for you in Jesus' name, amen. And for everybody else here today, is prayer, closing prayer. And if you'd like to just make a commitment to, a renewed commitment to get in the presence of God, not just here, but throughout your life, make it a priority to chase the presence of God. Let's just stand up all over this room and let's just pray a prayer commitment today. If that's you, you say, Jesus, I want to hunger for your presence like never before. Just raise your hand and pray with me as we close. God, I thank you for your presence that was afforded to me and to every single person in this room by your death on the cross. God, I thank you that that the veil was torn in two and I have direct access to the presence of God. Jesus, I pray that we won't be like the Israelites. Although so many times I know that we have been, God, I pray that you, that you just awaken our hearts today to our need for your presence. God, that if we chase anything in life, it's you. God, that we would have that attitude that says better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Jesus, we need you more than anything. And so God, come, make room in our life. God, we make room in our hearts for you. We invite you into every corner of our life and invite you to change anything you want. In Jesus' name.